Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Get it? With episode 200 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. It is time for celebration. We are 200 episodes into the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, and we have quite a show for you today. Not only are we going to give you an ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver 36, not only are we going to talk about AEW Rampage, the debut of that show from last week, not only are we going to talk about AEW Dynamite from this week, another fantastic show, none other than Riddle is joining the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for a special interview ahead of SummerSlam. I am high on life right now, excited to bring you this special episode. We have so much to talk about today. Forget the pleasantries. We're getting right into the show. You know the reminders. They're coming up quick. This is what getting over is all about. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. It's really super important. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will recap the schedule for the rest of the week here on Getting Over at the end of the show. We got at least three more shows coming for you, plus two live shows on Twitter Spaces, and you need to follow us at Getting Overcast for all of that. One more thing before we get into the show. I wanted to once again say thank you to all of you listening, not only for listening every week, interacting with us online and being just such great fans of getting over myself, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, who will join us later in the show. But you guys have just done so much for us. It's awesome. Even financially supporting the show about a year ago at this time, you guys contributed money so we could get equipment, so we could pay our bills to host the show and get a logo designed and all that great stuff. I even want to send a special shout out to Michael P. I don't know if you want your last name out there. He sent me 20 bucks recently for birthday beers out of nowhere. I promise you I use that money to drink beer on my birthday. So your uh, donation, your gift was much appreciated. But I did want to note, it has been 13 months since we asked for anything. And the coffers uh, that you guys filled up for us have been emptied uh, based on the server bills and uh, you know all the equipment purchases that we did make. So uh, with so many of you having reached out over the last few months, offering to contribute to the show and me turning you down, uh, you know, via social media, I appreciate all the offers. It is now time where I do want to ask if anyone is interested in contributing financially uh, to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We just obviously want to pay our bills every single month to make sure that we keep going, keep giving you a quality product. So if you are interested in contributing le- legitimately, any amount is appreciated. You can do so via Venmo at Adam Silverstein, S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. If you don't want to remember the Venmo, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Silverstein Adam is my Twitter handle, and there's a tip button in the profile that goes directly to the Venmo. I believe there's also a PayPal button in that profile as well. Uh, so folks, you know, if you're interested, uh, if you want to contribute, please do. And I promise, I'll make the same promise this time, as I did last time, the second we reach our total that we need to, you know, basically sustain the show for the next calendar year, 
I will tweet out that we're done and to please stop donating. I don't want a penny more than we need to cover our costs. That's all we're looking for. Um, so once again, appreciate all of you listening to the show. I appreciate all of you who contribute via DM. Uh, if you contributed you know, money last year, that was greatly appreciated. I hope you guys see that getting over is a family. Uh, the getting over heads, for lack of a better name, maybe that is the name. I think Chris uh, kind of came up with that, or maybe one of you suggested it. You know, that's awesome that you guys are, are part of this family. And, and I'm just very excited to continue this podcast after what I believe have been 200 fantastic episodes. So with that, I want to get right into the show. And there's really no better way to start than with our interview. Welcoming in Riddle, who will be teaming with Randy Orton, RK Bro, one of the hottest acts in WWE right now. We're going to see them at SummerSlam. But before we get to Las Vegas, Riddle sat down with the Silver King. Let's take a listen. Thrilled to welcome Riddle to the show for the first time. You can catch him and his RK bro partner, Randy Orton, challenging AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team Championship this Saturday at WWE SummerSlam, airing live at 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock in the United States and WWE Network internationally. Riddle, the last time we spoke, man, you were still in NXT, but I think most would agree that you've been a breath of fresh air since getting called up to SmackDown, then moved over to Raw. For a while, it seemed like you were trying to find your place a little bit, trying to find your footing from a character standpoint. I'm wondering, when do you think it all fell into place for you? Because right now it's clearly working. You know, honestly, uh, I think it's just anybody that goes up, it takes a minute for people to see what you bring to the table and see why you're valuable. And I don't think it was any different for, you know, Vince and everybody else with it. Because I'm kind of confusing in the sense, like, I'm really goofy and laid back. And the first time Vince met me, he's like, you're kind of a goof. And I'm like, I am a goof. He's like, you don't want to be a goof. I'm like, no, I, I can't stop being, I'm a goof. I'm like, but I'm a goof that can, like, kick your ass, you know? Like, <laughs> I found, he's like, I'm pretty legit, you know? I'm a little complex. But I think, you know, it took them a while, you know, because at first they're like, how do you take this guy serious and he's a fighter? But then you see my in-ring work. And then you see me on a microphone. And at the end of the day, and I look at it like this, we're trying to be entertainers. We are entertainers, and it's entertainment. And if I can bring you a hard-hitting wrestling match in that ring, and you're on the edge of your seat like that, and I can make you smile or giggle or feel bad or sad about something, I think I'm doing my job pretty well. And I think right now they've put me in a position where I can utilize all the tools I have. So I think it took... It's not necessarily like me figuring out who I am and what I got to do there. I think it's a combination of where are my strengths on the main roster. NXT, I was, I'd say I don't want to my home, but I was more like a Roman Reigns in NXT, you know. <laughs> but on the main roster, you know, I feel like I'm not at that level yet. And I'm still working my way up the ladder, you know. So I think that's it. I think it just takes time, maturity, which I do lack a lot of. So it, it'll, it'll take me a minute. But right now, I think uh, with the pairing, I think pairing with Randy is perfect because Randy's such a serious character. Like, dude, lit, like people on fire, you know, kicks him in the face and he's mean about it. But then there's me who does, I don't like people on fire, but I kick him in the face. But I'm sorry about that, bro. Better luck next time, you know? <laughs> so I think the contrast, like me and Pete back in the day in NXT and now me and Randy on main roster, I think it's just, it's it's just that dynamic's good. A lot of times I feel like teams are two people that are similar, 
and you're just used to that. So when you get a team that are like polar opposites, especially persona and character-wise, it makes for interesting TV. There's been a good history for you only teaming with Stallions, basically. Yeah. Uh, throughout well, your I, WWE career. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I'm not really trying to team with non-Stallions. No disrespect out there. And there's a lot of, you know, categories of Stallions. You know, I've, I've gone through this with Edge and other people. Like, you know, because Edge is a Stallion, he's a Stallion like me. But, like, you got Keith Lee, who I also think is a Stallion, but he's a different breed of Stallion. He's a power Stallion, maybe a thoroughbred. Or what is the Clydesdale style? You know, I, I don't know how many ways you can use the word style. I don't know if that's one breed of horse or if it's just male horses. Or, I, I'm not really. I just know I'm a stallion. Absolutely. Stallion. There's, I throw the word around a lot, but you're right. I only team with stallions, like Stallion Pete, Stallion Randy. Well, Ra- Randy, I'll be honest, Randy's a different beast. He's a different level style. That's why I don't even, he's a stallion, but I don't really call him a stallion that much. He's He's got all of his own nicknames. He's a legend killer. He's a viper. He's an apex predator. He's Randy Orton. You know what now, I'm saying? Yeah, I absolutely do. And that guy, yeah, Randy Orton, he has a history of, let's say, ribbing new guys and giving them maybe a hard time when they get to WWE. We have, as fans, have watched him publicly mature and also just on TV mature professionally. He Has he ever messed with you backstage? And, and what's it been like? working with a veteran like him, not only in front of fans, but behind the scenes when you guys are kind of coming up with what you're going to do. You know, Randy is a veteran. He's extremely fun to work with. Uh, It's contagious. You know, his excellence helps me become more excellent, you know, because he, he is a perfectionist. He likes his things done right and everything else. So just working side by side with Randy in front of the crowd and then backstage, He's a, he's a real treat, you know. Uh, he, he makes me laugh. He makes all the guys laugh. He's nice. He's funny. He's super sarcastic, which I like, you know. Sometimes he says some things and you're like, oh, you know, but he, he, Randy's great, you know. And honestly, he's been around long enough and he's got that veteran status where he can be brutally honest to people and it's refreshing to see. And, you know, it's good. It's good. I, like, I, I mean – Randy, you make me so happy <laughs> because he does, man. The guy just he makes my job even more enjoyable than it already was. Well, you and Randy are facing Styles and Omas at SummerSlam for those Raw Tag Team titles. I'm wondering what your perspective is like on Omas specifically because he's only been doing this for about three years. I'm sure you saw him plenty at the Performance Center in developmental, you know, Coming from a combat background like you, this guy was a basketball player. What do you think of what he's been able to do so far? And what do you think his potential is like in WWE? Well, you know, it's WWE, so his potential's through the roof, you know. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. The biggest thing about WWE wrestling, anything, is longevity. And the difference between being some guy that ran through and another guy that become a, became, becomes a legend is how consistent, how persistent, how hard can you work, how consistent can you work, how good is he going to keep getting. Right now, I think he's on track. You know, I think he's in a very good spot. He's paired up with AJ Styles, and I don't think there could be a better, you know, a better handler mm-hmm. for somebody trying to cut their teeth in this business, you know? So I don't think that hurts and it helps them. But at the same time, tag team wrestling is very confusing. It gets tricky and dicey and there's a lot of rules and regulations. And Tag wrestling is extremely hard. 
So, but that's also, it'll help him out in the long run. But uh, I think the sky is the limit for the guy. He's huge, and, you know, and everybody knows Vince likes him big. You know, so Absolutely. That's just what it is. I mean, I'll say this. The other day, almost beat me up. We had a match. He beat me up, right? He coming to the back, and as I walk through Gorilla, I see Vince hug him, and I <laughs> almost walked away. You know, I've been doing my thing. I walked over to Vince. I'm like, yeah. Good job. Shakes <laughs> my hand. I'm like, all right. Like I said, I don't think he dislikes me. I just like, I think he just likes him big. You know, he just, absolutely. He's just drawn to it. So, hey, so I think his potential's through the roof, and uh, he'll probably become a world champion before me. You know, but if I ever do, you know, hopefully one day. Well, well but last... first, but first, SummerSlam, the Raw Tag Team <laughs> Championship with Randy Orton, bro. That's first and foremost. But go ahead, continue. No, it's That's good. Right. It's good. Also, the last time we spoke, and I'm glad you're talking about Vince because you told me about your hysterical first interaction ever with John Cena and Vince backstage at Madison Square Garden a couple of years ago. John mm-hmm. Cena just recently gave you a little bit of rub on TV. You're now seeing Vince every single week. I'm wondering, did you get to talk to Cena backstage after that? And what is your relationship with Vince like now? Have you gotten a fist bump yet? Has there been a bro? Like, what's what's that relationship now? Okay, so the John Cena that I told you about that back in the day, it's funny because I was walking backstage and I had to get some new hats or a flip-flop or something. You know, I lose stuff all the time. And John was there signing stuff. And he actually said, hey, Matt, you know how we had that backstage thing where I didn't understand? Well, how about we do like a thing where I go, hey, I get it now, bro. And then we just throw it off. And I was like, I was like, John. If there could be a promo I could write and would want from you <laughs> right that now, that, that would be the, the – it hits home with me. Yeah. And then we did it. You know, it's funny. Randy hit me up afterwards. He's like, you know, John gave you the rub. I don't know if you know that what that is. And I'm like, Randy, of course. I, come on, man. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, it was a super rub. Come on. It was, uh, yeah. So my relationship with the guys is pretty good. Now, Vince, my relationship's good. I've never – I've never had a bad conversation. I know that's better than most people. Most people have a bad conversation <laughs> with the guy. Uh, honestly, everything's been good. You know, me and Vince, I think I, I'm all about business. I don't yeah, I don't take more than I need. And I, I do everything right for the most part. So, And I'm upfront and forward with these people. So I think at the end of the day, he likes that. And even from day one, even when he said I was a goop, I kept it real. I go, I can make you money. And I'm durable as hell. I was like, put me through the ringer, and once you once you take me, I'm going to be on. Like, until you get rid of me, I'm on. That's yeah. it. So I'm not trying to get breaks. I'm not trying to take a couple months off to do this or do that. I'm not, I, since I started working for WWE, I haven't taken one vacation day. Not one. Not one. Not one. Everybody else I know has. Everybody else has gotten hurt. Everybody else has gotten sick. I haven't. Yep. You know, I make it a point to stay relevant and consistent, and I know they like that. I know my employer likes that. Yeah, well, you uh, you transitioned perfectly right into my next question because I was going to say, since you got called up, we'll say for lack of a better term, to SmackDown and then moved over to Raw, you've had 62 matches on the main mm-hmm. roster, on TV, on pay-per-view, in front of people since last June. And if we're being honest, most of them have been what we on this show call bangers. Uh, what has been throughout that entire time so far you're either your favorite match or who's been your favorite opponent so far because you've had bangers, like I said, Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, you and Sheamus put on a match on Raw recently. That was awesome. I'm wondering which out of all of those stands out to you so far. 
You know, there, there's a couple that stand out to me, but my probably my two favorites over the course of this past year, and there's probably others I'm not thinking of at this moment because I've had a couple good ones. <laughs> my two favorite had to be one, the the one with Seamus, and then my other one with was with Xavier Woods. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, the one with Xavier Woods I liked a lot because I know how good Xavier is. I know how good I am, and people. People are pretty high on me right now, but then when I had that match with Xavier and people actually saw what he was capable of, I loved it because then the next couple of weeks he was in main matches, you know, main attraction because they knew he could go and he's legit because he yep. is, you know. But a lot of time, like when you're on a tag team or a group, you kind of people forget, you know. <laughs> so for me, that was. One of my favorite matches because I I pushed him and he pushed me back and it I and that's what I'm going for like I don't need to kill myself every time but at the same time I have to give a hundred percent you know I was talking to somebody earlier and it's like seems like it doesn't matter who you get in the ring with like you bring it it's like you you're basically like I don't care if you're a legend or whoever you're gonna have to step your game up to my level because I'm not dialing it in today and I don't like I don't know how to dial it in. it would feel weird for me to die. I would probably get lost if I dialed it in I go out there I don't even I just just feel it. I feel it, and I go. We might have moments planned, but I go. You know, I don't talk out there. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably the one complaint I probably get. I don't talk. Yeah. I'll just like kick you in the chest and be like, like, figure it out. Like right. I, I don't, I don't know. I might forget something. You know, <laughs> but I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna look confused. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work. Absolutely. I'll just two more things, and we'll get you out of here. You're. Comments, I guess, in the past about Goldberg, they're well known and fans got a little bit of a glimpse into, let's say, the heat between you guys and that clip on WWE Network. But Goldberg did an interview this week where he said, look, he can be a prick. You can be a prick, but he appreciates how hard you work and how dedicated you are to wrestling. So I'm wondering, was there any mending of the fences here? And do you still want that match? I still want Goldberg. Nothing's going to change that. I think I could make a lot of money and a lot of magic with that, man. You know, the thing is, am I a huge fan of his work in the ring? Not necessarily. Right. But like I said, if anybody I get in that ring with, I help you keep up. I'm going to make you come with me. Like, you don't have a choice, and I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. So, but I do appreciate Goldberg. And, I, and I'll say this. I respect Goldberg. I like I see everybody drawn to the TV. I hear the chance. I hear it's not, that's not fake. That's real. Like the guy puts asses in seats. He makes money. He's the, he's the man. He's good. And he's still doing it. So I can't knock that, you know, but I think at the end of the day, just like me and others, I don't think you'd ever see eye to eye on everything, but I appreciate what he's done for wrestling. And I think he appreciates my passion, hard work and everything else, you know, and I'm hoping he eventually sees that it might be worth his time to get in the ring with me. And if you remember a couple of years ago, whenever we talked, I said, my goal is, I know these guys, they don't, at this, at that time, they wouldn't even acknowledge that my existence. Right. Now they're, now, now they know your name. Now they're talking about you. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And that, and I said it before, my goal is to make myself so valuable that even though I want the match and they don't, Eventually, they're going to have to come around because I'm worth it. The money's going to be there, and it's going to be too good to pass up. Absolutely. Riddle, I appreciate your time. I'm going to get you out of here on this last question. Late at night, we all get sometimes that hankering for something. Maybe it's pizza, French fries, Funyuns, whatever. I want to know what is Riddle's 
favorite munchie? I do a lot of different things. I'll tell you what I've been recently doing because I'm trying to make those gains. Uh, recently, I've been just eating a lot of tuna fish, but I douse it in mayonnaise and <laughs> pepper. And then I eat ramen noodles. But I got like all the oils from like a, like a, like a Korean barbecue joints. I got like the sesame oil and the gotcha. hot chili oil. So I like, so it's like, a, I know it's still ramen, but it's a fancier ramen. You know, I throw some spices in there. And uh, yeah, that's my go-to, and I'll just house that, you know. Because I've noticed if I just eat chips or like snacks, I, I'll just eat like bags upon bags. And I just, you know, when you don't, you don't feel full, but you right. feel sick, you know. I don't want to feel that. Like after eating a whole bag of potato chips, the tuna fish and ramen a little better. Awesome. Well, don't forget you can catch Riddle teaming with Randy Orton, RK Bro, going for those Raw Tag Team Titles against AJ Styles and Omos at WWE SummerSlam live on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock in the U.S. and WWE Network internationally. Riddle, thanks again, bro. I hope you crush it this weekend. Thank you, bro. Thanks for having me. You have a good one. Man, that was so much fun talking to Riddle. Some really insightful stuff there. I appreciate him joining us. Normally, we would do a full breakdown of the interview, but we just don't have the time. So with that, we're going to roll on into NXT and then AEW. There are timestamps for every single segment on this podcast in our episode description. So do not forget to check if you want to bounce around. If you're listening to us right before Rampage or before Dynamite next week and you want to skip around to see where AEW is, check the episode description. You will find a full breakdown with timestamps there. So we're going to break down the NXT TakeOver 36 cards separately in an ultimate preview coming up. We'll also discuss all the storylines that continued on NXT involving those feuds for those matches. Let's first talk about everything else that happened on TV this week. We had Roderick Strong against Isla Dragunov. Uh, Kushida was supposed to defend his cruiserweight title here, but he was not medically cleared. So Diamond Mine held an open challenge. There was a strange no-win booking scenario here because Dragunov is the number one contender for the NXT UK title, but he lost last week. Strong is the number one contender for a different title, the Cruiserweight Championship, and he shouldn't be losing. So I thought it was interesting they gave us this match at all. Strong dominated early, and Dragunov got a huge cut above his eye that gave crazy color throughout the match. Dragunov hit two German suplexes. His face was covered in blood. He countered a flying knee with a torpedo Moscow to get the win in a terrific match that went nearly 15 minutes and for me, was four stars and A- minus in my book. It was awesome top to bottom. I like that they overcame the loss later in the show by having Malcolm Bivens explain Strong is still a number one contender. It's for a different title. He called Dragunov a heavyweight. Obviously, he's not, though he is challenging for a heavyweight title. And he also said that Strong has a guaranteed match against Kushida. So they figured out a way to give us a great match and say, you know what? We're going to give you a really good piece of work rate kind of almost booking be damned. We're going to have the right person win and we're still going to figure out a way to kind of tell you that Strong hasn't been hurt by it. He's still going to get his match. I thought it was really smart. I thought it was a great way to start the show, Chris. Yeah, hey, by the way, hey, Adam. Hey to the getting oh, yeah, overheads. Well, show. <laughs> <laughs> You've been talking for a bit, but the Riddle interview was great. Uh, happy to pop in here. Uh, the NXT AEW show that I'm frequenting more often as AEW kind of ramps up. Uh, but I'm watching NXT to, to 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 stay up with that. Happy 200th episode! Thank I you. like getting over. I like the the overheads as the the fan name. 
It's uh, good. I think it's a good it, name. Yeah. I don't know if I came up with it or if someone else suggested it. If you did, you get credit for that. But, you remind. Uh, you at least reminded me. I, of it yes. Of so yeah. it, 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 we, we talked about it a few months back, but at, for the 200th, I figured it was a time to bring it back up. And we just want to say thank you to everybody who has been listening through all of this. As for this match, uh, this was an incredible match. And and the, the color, I think, really added to it. And obviously it wasn't on purpose, but it just when those accidental situations happen, it really highlights how like how, just how much it helps in a wrestling match and why blading happened for years and years, because stuff like that really adds to the story. Uh, Re- real it, color I, is so much better than blading. It's just, yes, every time yeah. it's better. For sure. And, and not only color, but like you said, I mean, almost a full on cr- crimson mask that added added to everything. Strong loses. But you're right. They 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 protected him later on, which was a big deal. And I'm glad that they did that. And then finishing up with Dragunov calling out Walter and not getting a response. I love that because because you just you expected a response because that's how wrestling always goes. And to just not get it. I thought it was a great way to end that whole thing. Yeah, Walter is such a dominant character that he just doesn't need to even be bothered by a guy yeah. that he's already beaten, by the way, in a five-star match that I can't wait to talk about later uh, from the, the, the last match. I think in October was a five-star match. And my bad. I should have totally had you talk during the intro of the show. I don't even know. I'm just, I know we have so much to talk about today that we do. my mind is focused on get through this as quick as possible. That's just yes. how I'm focused. But obviously, look, uh, Chris was not the original co-host of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I think most, if not all of you would agree um, when a change was made for reasons that had nothing to do with Chris or the, really the original co-host. It just didn't really work out the way we thought it might. Um, Chris coming on has been a, a great counterbalance to me. And I, I really appreciate you, obviously, being a part of this program, being so dedicated to it, not just doing the WWE episode on Tuesdays, but the instant analysis, really caring, interacting with the audience. You know, not every co-host of a podcast operates that way. So massively appreciated um, you jumping on, doing as much as you've done and really making the show what it is getting over would not be the same without you as part of it. So we we need somebody to hear to defend Otis and to defend LA Knight. And I'm glad I can bring that (laughs) Uh, both of, I mean, okay. I was gonna say both of which you, you were wrong about, but you were kind of right about LA Knight. He has improved. Uh, you were wrong about Otis though. So I was right about Otis. Um, but okay, look, let's move on. A lot more to talk about. We're staying with NXT. Uh, the tag team championship was previously scheduled and we got it. MSK defending against Imperium. The challengers cut a short promo backstage. Imperium singled out Wesley in the match and kicked his ass. The crowd finally, I think for the first time, fully got behind MSK And I suppose that's because Imperium are true 100% pure heels. Walter came down as Nash Carter made the hot tag. The push moonsault was broken the fall and Walter's distraction gave Imperium an opening. But Isla Dragunov made the save and MSK was able to get back with their elevated somersault neckbreaker move. Still unnamed, by the way, both of their signature moves. You know, that pisses me off, uh, but they did get the win. Walter then took out Dragunov, destroyed MSK, and then choked out Dragunov in the ring. It was an exciting match that left the people standing tall, the right people at the end of the show. There needs to be more MSK on TV, especially with NXT saying they're going younger or or seeming reportedly going to go younger uh, and deeper into building the MSK characters, their moveset, have them do more stuff. Uh, Some squashes against younger guys and other tag teams 
really wouldn't be a bad look for them, especially considering they're not on the takeover card. But this entire thing was enjoyable. You know, I didn't really grade it because we didn't get a super duper clean finish. Um, But it was a solid show top to bottom. Really, there wasn't a down moment on NXT at all. And this was a totally very good main event. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of Imperium. And the the Imperium Undisputed Era match was actually my match of 2020. That was my favorite match of of the year. And obviously, they're not the exactly the same group anymore but it was such a class it's such a clash of styles that it really works you got the guys who want to keep the opponent grounded and you've got high flyers and all of these guys are great and it works and like you said you probably need more msk on the show to get them more over as the champs i mean you've talked about time and time again that the crowd is not really behind them so you have to get them in a position where they will be and this was this was an example of doing that it was. Now, I'm going to break down the rest of what happened on NXT TV before the TakeOver card myself, we, just for expediency sake. I already spoke with Chris about this ahead of the show. So we're going to go to Hit Row. They were in a ring cutting the promo when Santos Escobar appeared on screen and offered to return Swerve's grill, but only if you met him in the parking lot one-on-one like a gentleman. Swerve agreed to meet him outside, immediately got jumped by the rest of Legado del Fantasma as Escobar tried to steal his upper grill. He already took the lower grill. Legato was on top for a while until B-Fab showed up with a bat. Top Dollar did the Kevin Nash Ray Mysterio spot from Nitro into a garage door. I'm, I forget which member of Legato he did it with, but it was hysterical. Swerve took his grill back from Escobar and threw him into a garage door. Also, it was really solid. It was a good segment. It felt a little flat, though. I couldn't put my finger on exactly why. Maybe it was the lack of crowd noise because it all happened outside and they did not give us the ambient auto f- audio from inside the arena. That probably was the reason, but it was a really good, you know, uh, brawl between factions groups outside in the NXT parking lot, the most dangerous place in wrestling. And I did think it advanced the feud. We're getting a six man next week. That's going to be really exciting. Io Shirai rolled her eyes backstage when Zoe Stark said she was trying to learn Japanese. Shirai then said, it's not about trying to be friends, but defending the titles. That's Fine, the segment was good. There's no challengers right now. So I don't exactly know what they're doing with the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships, but I do like the odd couple dynamic of Stark and Shirai. It's not something they do that frequently with women in WWE and NXT. So I really like their dynamic and I'm kind of curious to see how it ultimately plays out. Eventually, I'm sure we're gonna get Io Shirai against Zoe Stark one-on-one. That'll be amazing, of course. But man, I really want Io Shirai on the main roster. Uh, We had Index against Jesse Kamia and Robert Stone. This was incredible. This was top tier professional wrestling. The way, again, disapproved of Index backstage, Indy Hartwell started wearing gloves and said, not only did Dexter Loomis love the cake in his face last week, he still had room for pie later, which was an amazing line. Index came out to Loomis's music and Indy not only stared at his ass, as they were walking, but did his crawl going into the ring. There was a moment where Beth Phoenix and her met eyes, uh, Beth Phoenix and Indy, and nodded to each other. And Beth told her to calm down before the match, which was interesting. I didn't know why they did that exactly, but they showed off later. They told us exactly why. Uh, The crowd came alive for this entire match. Frankie Monet got ejected from ringside. Stone did a ridiculously funny splash over the ropes only to land flat on the floor at Loomis's feet, like coming nowhere close to him. It was hysterical. 
The match did go on far too long, but Hartwell hit a Uranagi and then won with silence while staring at Loomis, who used silence on stone outside the ring. Now, I mentioned before the match, Indy staring at Beth. After the match, she goes over to her, grabs a ring, and proposes to Dexter Loomis right in the middle of the ring after one date. He nodded yes. The crowd went wild for it. This was the best NXT crowd in the Capitol Wrestling Center I think we've ever had. Index is super over. As I said, this was a lot of fun. Obviously, the engagement aspect feels a little bit rushed, but the point of it is to be absurd. And I presume they're going to do a wedding. I expect Austin Theory to make his return during the wedding and break it up to save his, quote, sister or something like that. Either way, I'm into this. Clearly, the crowd is into it. And as I said, this to me was peak professional wrestling. It's everything you want from that fun, ridiculous, romantic aspect that we've gotten so many times over the years in so many different promotions. Uh, We had Carmelo Hayes against Duke Hudson in the NXT breakout tournament semifinals. Hayes caught Hudson coming inside the ring with a scissor kick, then hit an awesome DDT by flinging himself over the top rope and planting Hudson neck first, actually, on the ring apron. It looked kind of dangerous. Hayes finished in a flurry with a flying scissor kick to advance to the finals against Odyssey Jones. I was surprised Hudson didn't get more offense here, given his recent repackaging. But Hayes is the star of this tournament. He also cut a great promo after about having to face the final boss at the end of the game, but then turning it around and saying he's actually the one who is the final boss. That's good. I'm definitely excited for the match with Odyssey Jones, but you have to have Hayes win. If they have Odyssey Jones win, he's a neophyte. He doesn't have the experience. He's much greener in the ring than Hayes. Carmelo Hayes is a future star. I think Odyssey Jones has a ton of potential. I just don't think he's ready to win this and challenge for a title. There was a new vignette for JC Jane, similar to the one we got last week for Gigi Dolan. It's strange that they're cutting videos like this individually, despite seemingly being a team, but it is different and unique, something we don't normally see from WWE. So I'm going to give him credit for that. Uh, Gigi impressed last week, so maybe JC will next week. It seems clear they're going to have Mandy Rose as a manager, given all the Rose references, but that hasn't come together yet. And Mandy Rose managing them in NXT, I don't really know what that does for Mandy Rose. So again, I just kind of want to see a little bit more development there. Uh, Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland cut a tape promo about respecting Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher for having the balls to challenge Holland. Dunne got it in his ear about making a name for himself next week against Thatcher. It was a really strong promo from them, but it was noticeable that Oni Lorcan was conspicuous by his absence there. Still, I'm all in on Ridge Holland. And that's NXT. So let's move over to the NXT TakeOver 36 Ultimate Preview. We're going to break down the five matches on the card, and most of them are going to be bangers. Let's start with the one I don't know how it's going to play out or or what I'm going to think about it. The Million Dollar Championship is on the line. Once again, LA Knight defending against Cameron Grimes with the stipulation that if Cameron Grimes loses, Ted DiBiase will become the butler for LA Knight. Uh, So on NXT, we had Cameron Grimes against Josh Briggs in a singles match. Knight paid Briggs $10,000 to fight Grimes. DiBiase was on commentary. Grimes hit a Spanish crossbody and the cave-in for a quick win. It was good for him to look strong before takeover, but I just felt this match could have gone on a bit longer. Knight then punched DiBiase after the match and hit the BFT on Grimes when he went for the save outside. Later backstage, DiBiase apologized to Grimes for everything, but Grimes took the blame. 
He found his motivation, tore off the Butler outfit finally, and got really, really hyped for Sunday. So Chris, I'm excited for this match more than anything else because I want this feud to be over. It really just feels like it's gone on way too long. I'm not saying it hasn't been good. It's had its very good moments. But this Butler stuff with Grimes wearing the outfit, it it ran its course like two weeks ago. I just want it over. I want Grimes to win the Million Dollar Championship. He needs to be on that trajectory because he has main roster potential as this really good wrestler who's also comedic. You know, I just want LA Knight and Grimes separated. Finally, I'm going with Grimes. It's the natural conclusion to the storyline. That's my pick. Yeah, it is. I, my, my, my pick is Grimes. You know, we got the Butler thing with the last takeover. It runs its course to now and then it ends. I think it's been a perfect, has it felt a little long? Maybe, but I've been thoroughly entertained by this all the way. And they've added some different stipulations. They've added different motivations. And, and now we've got it here. I, I thought start to finish, this was a great overall story they told on NXT. You have, I love the backstage LA Knight just throwing around money to kind of whip up, to have someone whip up Cameron Grimes a bit, getting all cocky and agreeing to a bet that Ted DiBiase threw out there during the match. It was just entertaining stuff, and then he loses, and then we have the fight at the end, and then Grimes and and Ted DiBiase. It was a great story they told throughout the show, and I think it sets up Grimes winning here. I think both of these guys, honestly, are are main event guys in very different ways. LA Knight has never quite felt right in NXT because we've been so used to NXT as kind of like the the indie darling promotion, which it's not going to be anymore, but he's also uh, quite up there in age. He's not the kind of guy, he's 38. He's not the guy who is NXT's future, you don't think. So I'd love to see both of these guys move up to the main roster. But yeah, my pick is uh, my pick is Grimes as well. Absolutely. So let's move on to the NXT UK Championship. Now we're talking about it second here, but folks, this could be the match of the night. It was the WWE match of the year last year. And there were some really good matches despite the pandemic uh, in 2020. But Walter, Isla Dragunov for the NXT UK Championship. It was a legitimate five-star match back in October. It was so exceptionally brutal that I, I said it, it was unlike anything I had ever seen in wrestling. Now, look, maybe there's Minoru Suzuki matches out there, Japanese strong style. I'm sure Walter has had other really brutal matches with Dragunov on the independence and others probably that I just haven't seen. But this was such an incredible, special, unique match last year. I don't know how they can top it. I don't. I also don't know how you do this match one more time, given Walter's extensive run at the top of NXT UK. If it's not Dragunov beating him, who the hell at this point is it going to be? He's basically beaten everyone's, everyone else. Pete Dunne is no longer there. They do still have Tyler Bate. He's not at the level that he was when he was the first NXT UK champion. And we thought he was going to be the, possibly the next big thing in WWE. I still think that he's super young. He has all the potential in the world. But for this match, in this moment, at this pay-per-view NXT TakeOver 36. I think this is the match of the night. I think Isla Dragunov walks out as the brand new NXT UK champion, ending Walter's record reign. Yeah, when that match, that first match happened, you told me multiple times, you're like, go watch this. You have have to to watch watch this match, yes. 
And I did, and I did, and it was incredible. Highly recommend it if anybody has not gone back and watched that yet. So this is a tough call for the reasons you said. I don't follow NXT UK regularly. What is Tyler Bate up to? I is haven't he still been, on the show? I haven't been following it regularly either, and when I do, it's usually just for like individual matches and things like sure. that. Um, but yeah, I, I, he won the... You were like, he won the he won the Heritage Cup championship, which is something they introduced recently, and he retained it in July. Uh, but I'm not really sure what's happened since then. Because because you, you're right, like it, it seemed like he was on path to be the next big thing. COVID obviously threw a mess into to everything that WWE had plans for with UK. You figure if Walter's going to lose, it's going to be to crown the next big thing. But we've seen him in Tyler Bate before. It was a long time ago, but I I, I don't know I. Is Dragunov the guy you make the face of NXT UK at this moment? I, I I don't know. I don't follow it too closely, so I can't totally say. I'm going to go with Walter here, but you make a good case for it being Dragunov. The, the story works. They, they've done a great job in these NXT US scenarios to build it up. Um, but I'm going to go with Walter. I mean, Walter's had the title at this point for 866 days. I mean, yeah. that's that's insane. And before him, Pete Dunne had it for 685 days. So when you talk about like prestigious championships in WWE, this is the one at this point. Like this is yeah. the one that is protected and treated so uniquely. Also, the last two title changes for the NXT UK championship have come in the United States at regular takeover events. Takeover Chicago in 2017, TakeOver New York in 2019. I do think it's weird still that this TakeOver 36 is not at an arena. They, I don't know why they couldn't have done it at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas the day after the Pacquiao fight, the day after SummerSlam. I, I don't get it. Or, is, why, or why they couldn't have done it in Phoenix or somewhere else nearby. But man, like this is a sick card. It really is for this show. This has match of the year potential, at least WWE match of the year potential. And I'd see a where, title change. I absolutely yeah. Do. Where so where is SmackDown tomorrow? I'm not sure. It looks like no, it's 21 because because I'm trying to think. So the Pacquiao fights at T-Mobile. Oh, it looks yes. like it's in Phoenix. You're right. You're right. It's in. Phoenix there you go. Tomorrow. So why not do it in Phoenix? Boom. That's because that's what I was wondering in terms of it, that. That would. I I don't know because normally they tie it to it's often the same arena as the the main show when it's SummerSlam. Correct. But when it's WrestleMania, they do an arena, but that arena also has a Hall of Fame. Well, when it's, some, when it's SummerSlam and they do Barclays, they do, they did yeah. in the past. They did yeah. so SummerSlam, I, I, NXT TakeOver Raw, and SmackDown all from this. I'm, I'm curious how yeah. much the fact that they don't have anything else in Vegas booked is is, is why, because they're only doing the stadium. Maybe, but, but they could uh, have done it at I, no, Phoenix, like you're saying. I agree. Right? No, I mean, I agree with you, though. I mean, yeah. NXT arena shows for the longest time were the best thing in wrestling, and it's it's uh, unfortunate they're not going to do it this time. I hope they do it soon. One of the factors that has led to NXT, despite me still enjoying the show, and I think it's a great show, but feeling less energetic and important has yeah. been the venue. The CWC has simply not been a good venue for this product that relies so much on fan interaction. You look at AEW and what the fans do for AEW. It was yeah. the same thing with NXT. The fans made it feel bigger than it, even bigger than it was. And a match like this, a card like this, it is legitimately a stacked card. It deserves to be in front of fans. And by the way, 
I pulled Phoenix out of my ass. I had no idea WWE <laughs> was going to be there legitimately. Um, but that even goes to prove the point, though. The fact that they are in Phoenix, they easily could have booked TakeOver the Sunday you know, before. If they're doing SmackDown on Friday and you do TakeOver a couple days later. So I don't get that. But look, enough of that. Let's move on. We got more matches to talk about. NXT Women's Championship Raquel Gonzalez against Dakota Kai. Gonzalez and Kai did a split screen confrontation where Gonzalez says she knew Kai would turn on her one day, given what she did to Tegan Knox a few years ago. Dakota said she turned Raquel from a nobody into a somebody. Gonzalez called her a sidekick. That pissed off Kai even more. I think this is going to be a tremendous match that legitimately can go either way. And because of that, Chris, I'm going to let you go first and tell me who you think is going to win between Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. My pick is Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, I haven't been into this as, as much as you are. This this feels like the future of NXT and that it is developmental and, and working on that and squaring that with a Walter Dragunov on the same show, same card kind of highlights that. Um, but I'm going to go with Raquel Gonzalez. So I'm of a mixed mind here because I think whoever loses this match should be called up. But you look at the last two recent female call-ups for WWE in Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. Those are both larger women, not large, you know, in, in the sense of weights, just height, stature, just presence in the ring. And I think if you take Raquel Gonzalez out of NXT and you change the title here, you're probably losing something unique that NXT has. Now, look, there's changes coming to NXT. We expect them as soon as this Tuesday. We don't know whether they're going to be positive or negative until we see them. So I'm not going to judge in that way. But man, Dakota Kai has been ready for the main roster for like two years at this point. She was injured. You know, she, she came back. She When she did come back, she was kind of alongside Raquel Gonzalez rather than being the featured player um, in their team or in their friendship. And Raquel's only really been champion for 134 days now. That is the second longest NXT Women's Championship reign since 2018. But that doesn't necessarily mean it shouldn't. I think there's plenty of face women on NXT to go up against either of them. And Raquel, even though she's a little bit more of a face now, she can easily switch back heel once Dakota Kai leaves. I legitimately think the loser of this match goes to the main roster because I don't know what else there is for them to do in NXT if they don't have the championship. So I'm going to go with Raquel Gonzalez winning and retaining the title and Dakota Kai moving up, perhaps as soon as Monday on Raw. Well, here's the thing about call-ups. Tony Storm came up a couple of weeks ago, hasn't done anything, and Shotzi came up uh, with, with the tag team, and they haven't done anything, partly because Natalia got well, hurt, yeah. probably. So yeah. it's they've had some recent call-ups who haven't done anything for one reason or another, and you know we talked for a long time about, especially SmackDown, was really lacking simply in women's wrestlers. Now, all of a sudden... Uh, they've got people they need to figure out what to do with. You so have a point there, Steve. but at the same time, they're building for SummerSlam and Tony's not involved in it. So it makes sense why she sure. wouldn't be intimately involved right now. Also, you don't want her to take losses. So if you're going to put her against Belair or Banks, she's going to lose and you kind of want her to build her up strong. And the tag team thing you already explained when they were on TV. And they, by the way, they just fought Tamina two weeks ago. Uh, Shotzi or Knox, I forgot who it was and won. So they haven't really been off TV. It's just this week they weren't on. So... I don't think there's been any misuse of, of the women they've called up recently, but I do think they, there needs to be more women on Raw. We've talked about it. The main event there is completely lacking. Um, so I think whoever loses this match winds up on Raw 
as soon as Monday, or maybe they start doing vignettes and debut them soon after that. I would just be surprised if both stay, but I am going to go with Raquel Gonzalez as the pick. NXT Championship, Karrion Cross against Samoa Joe. Joe tore Cross apart on the mic Tuesday on NXT. The champion came out to loud, where is Scarlet Chance? Great question. I'd love to know that as well. Cross said the match isn't about Joe, but it's about the future of NXT. He called security out to protect Joe and said he'd not only drop him, but drop him fast in their match. Joe delivered a headbutt and then a tope suicida, which was awesome, into six dudes. He got held back by security. That gave Cross an opening to throw him into the steps. Joe then threw Cross through hockey glass and they slammed through the barricade hard on the other side. It actually didn't seem gimmicked the way it broke. They were both grunting, grabbing their heads as NXT went off the air. Though the promos were nothing, this really sold the potential brutality of the match. And it surprises me that this is not a no-holds-barred match, a street fight, falls count anywhere, something where there's real added excitement and brutality to it, because I'm not sure that they're going to be able to match inside the squared circle and around ringside what we got in the closing moments of NXT on Tuesday. I presume destroying the set, by the way, was an entree to their being a new set after TakeOver. There's all these talks, of course, about uh, WWE rebranding and you know just changing what NXT looks like and and what it's going to be like. Again, we're going to wait to pass judgment until we actually see it. So it did make sense that they incorporated all of that into their brawl. Uh, all and by the way, maybe the set debuts Sunday for Takeover. I don't know exactly what the plan yeah. is, but I, that, that that would make sense. It would make sense. Um, so I loved what they did Tuesday, uh, Chris. You know, do you might have anything to say about that before we predict the match. No, the only other thing was they talked a lot about the future of NXT when it's a fight between a 36-year-old and a 42-year-old, considering everything we know about the future of NXT. We think just, we know, yeah. I, I, we, well, the rumors out there, so I don't know if it was if it was kind of a, a nod toward that or what, but that was great. That was a great pull-apart brawl, really well done. I am so excited that Joe is back. He brings an intensity that is needed and is needed from whoever is always across from carrying cross. So I think this is a great setup. I agree. There should be a stipulation, uh, but it's what it is. Yeah. I don't think he's wrestled in like 16 months. So basically the history of this podcast has not existed uh, <laughs> while Samojo was in the ring. So I'm just very, very excited to see him back. Look, carrying cross is already on raw, right? Unless they are going to do some bullshit where Cross beats Joe and then he relinquishes the title to move on to bigger and better things on Raw. I I don't see how you do that. That is just, it's so insulting to the fans to never have a guy lose. It was different with Asuka who got injured. She was planning to drop the title, but she got injured and therefore didn't. And then she ended up relinquishing it and moving to the main roster. That's not the case here. You cannot do that again. Karrion Cross has already lost matches. He lost to Keith Lee and Jeff Hardy. He can lose to Samoa Joe. I have Samoa Joe winning and becoming the new NXT champion. Same thing. And and it's it's it, it, it for all the reasons you said, Karrion Cross being on Raw. Um, I hope Scarlett's there for this match. I, I mean, it's been a weird kind of few weeks with, with Karrion Cross, and it would set up an interesting dynamic as NXT potentially again moves toward its future that Joe is the champion and kind of will play a heavy role in whatever the next crop of stars are or whichever way they go. So I think that's a good 
set up a good role for him. So, uh, yep, going with Joe as well. Yeah, for him to put over that next person, who very well may be Pete Dunne, who he's had stare downs with recently. Mm-hmm. They've already kind of set up that next feud. Yeah, uh, that's a good spot for him to be in. And yes, he, he that is going to be his role in NXT. You know, I don't expect him to be a guy who's a champion for 300 days. His role is putting over young talent at this point. Plus, he has backstage duties and jobs and stuff for developmental. So that's all going to work out for Samoa Joe. And then lastly here, the main event, my expected main event, two out of three falls, Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. The first fall will be decided to be a pinfall or submission. The second is a street fight. And by the way, I know like that's basically the same thing. I was thinking about this because if it's pinfall or submission, that means there's no DQ and no count out. So you can use weapons both times. I, well, well, I'm sure they'll well, keep it in the ring. I'm just saying technically. Yeah, like, it's the same yeah, like on, on Wikipedia, it says here just traditional wrestling. So I, I assume DQ counts. No, no. He said pinfall or submission. The match can be one. So uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But to me, it seems like it's the same. Anyway, those are the first two falls. And then I mean, I don't I don't expect it to be a DQ, but yeah. And then if necessary, the third fall will be a steel cage match, which we know will be necessary. So this is, of course, don't forget the same booking as Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, for the most part, which I found a little bit interesting. So they did the prime target special on Tuesday. This was great as usual. I'll again express my disappointment. These used to be on the WWE Network. They used to have two matches combined in one special. It would go like 40 minutes. Now they're like three minutes each on TV. Still top tier production, still good stuff, but it's not really as important. or It doesn't feel as important as they used to. Now the big story here, is Adam Cole's future. But the outcome of this match, in my opinion, is not going to impact that one way or another because he's out of NXT either way. He's either going to go to WWE, main roster, or he's going to leave the company in totality and presumably sign with AEW. His contract, the story as it goes, so everyone knows, a little bit refresher. Uh, His contract ended a couple months ago. Uh, People thought he had re-signed for like two more years and were surprised at that seemingly uh, people inside WWE were surprised at that as well. And people got fired over it. Maybe he didn't sign the contract on the dotted line or it wasn't processed. I don't know the details of it. Maybe we'll find out one day, but his contract expired and he signed a short-term extension to finish the feud with Kyle O'Reilly so he could make a decision after that. Now we'll talk about what we think is going to happen with Adam Cole after this. First, let's talk about the match, the prediction. Either way, no matter what the situation is, Kyle O'Reilly is going over and winning this. I thought that before um, I knew about Adam Cole's contract situation, I wanted this to be and thought it would be a loser leaves town match before I knew about Adam Cole's contract situation. Now it basically is one without that being the stipulation, which I still don't understand why they didn't (laughs) make it the stipulation, knowing he wouldn't be in NXT either way, but okay. Um, So look, Kyle O'Reilly is going to win. You have to have the face go over. He's the guy they need to give this opportunity to in the main event picture. It has not worked so far, both due to a combination of the cool Kyle character candidly sucking uh, and O'Reilly not doing really good mic work and being outclassed in that regard. But the crazy Kyle character seems to work a little bit better. I think you have him win. Maybe you even do a double turn, uh, but O'Reilly is going to be the winner of this match. Yes, it, it, he he's going to win. I I haven't again. I did. I don't watch NXT regularly, but I haven't fully gotten around his character largely because of how he looks. The hair is weird. The jean jacket stuff was weird. 
Um, while Adam Cole just looks, he's small, but he looks like a star. And in the mic work, he's, he's done the same thing. I like the, the promo video they set up for this with, with, with Cole largely carrying it, I would say. So I think it sets it up well. I'm annoyed by the stipulations, as you are for the reasons you said. But without a doubt, Kyle O'Reilly's winning this. Yeah, O'Reilly has to win it. Now, when it comes to Adam Cole's future, that's the big topic. There has been indications, minor indications both ways. And really, they revolve around video games, which is so freaking weird. So he did. He has a Twitch channel, which is basically outlawed on the WWE main roster. He told his followers on there he's going to keep that no matter what. So that says, oh, maybe he's not staying with WWE. Then again, he was just on the Up, Up, Down, Down show, this very special Uno episode, where they literally alluded to his contract situation on the show and he smiled and stuff and they just use it as a way to introduce like a deck of cards or something like that. It was, it's tough to explain without seeing it and hearing it. Um, but so that gave me indications like he's still being featured. He's on the SummerSlam meet and greet panel that they're doing. Why are you putting him so far out there if you're WWE? If he's not staying, then you say, well, they did that with Dean Ambrose. They gave him a go away special. And then he showed up in AEW. So I don't exactly know what Adam Cole is going to do. And again, I don't think the result of the match will indicate it either way. If I was a betting man, which I am, but there's not really odds on this, I don't think. Um, I would bet that Adam Cole stays in WWE. I think there's so much goodwill that has been created with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And even though it seems like Triple H's power may slightly be diminishing, Adam Cole is such a can't-miss talent that, yes, he's a smaller guy in stature. There's no question about it. He is so exceptional on the mic. He's so over with the crowd. He met reportedly with Vince McMahon at SmackDown recently, and the entire writing staff reportedly was told to come up with a ton of different storylines and angles for him. They don't necessarily do that for everyone. So if he signs a contract, maybe he gets a stipulation in there. Uh, or an exception for his Twitch channel. AEW is great. We're going to talk about it momentarily on this show. That roster is so stacked. If they added Adam Cole, I'm not saying that I don't know what he will do. I don't know that he'd be satisfied not being on TV in front of a crowd every single week. You look at Miro, Aleister Black, Malachi Black now, Andrade. Like There's so much talent there. They're adding, presumably, we think, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, I think he's almost like AEW is no longer a small pond. He's a big fish in a big pond there or in WWE. I think WWE has the opportunity to offer him more money and actually more TV time and greater exposure. If I'm him, I I sign a short-term deal. I get some type of clause in there that maybe reduces my window from 90 days to 30 or 60 days. Um, maybe I sign a short-term two-year deal to kind of feel them out rather than the five-year deal they want me to sign. But if I'm Adam Cole, I actually think I stay in WWE. And I wouldn't have necessarily said that about Malachi Black or Andrade or Miro. But with him, I think he really should stay. Right. There, there's, there's upside and downside to both. I mean, clearly WWE values him to a certain extent. He has gotten all the spotlight matches in WWE. He got the Pat McAfee match. They trust him to carry NXT. And 
if Vince is meeting with him and demanding people come up with stories, that's a good thing. It, 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 they're clearly valuing him and trying to do something with him. You just wonder, hey, a, a year from now, is Vince McMahon still going to be interested or is he going to get shuffled back down to doing something else? We've seen WWE get interested in guys and then and then push him back down and not really just kind of forget about them in general. So it's it's tough. The flip side, NXT uh, with AEW, Obviously, Britt Baker uh, is there, and they're in a relationship, and he used to be in the Bullet Club, the Elite, all very good friends with everybody there. And his wife's but, there. I mean, yes. Right. Like, but, there's so but, many personal reasons to go over there. Right. But they only have so many hours on TV, and they have so many people. How much will you be professionally satisfied is the, is the way you put it. it. I could really see it go either way. I know a lot of AEW fans think that it makes perfect sense for Adam Cole to join AEW, but I don't think it's a slam dunk for all the reasons you laid out. Where In the end, if I have to make a prediction, I think what, I mean, I think what you said makes sense. WWE in a short-term situation to kind of see how it goes. He's still going to have value in He's still two, young. three years, whatever they do. Yeah, it, AEW will be around in two years, you know, that would seem like it would make the most sense, but you certainly can't fault a guy if he wants to go, you know, where he has more personal relationships. Well, he, I mean, he still has a lot of personal relationships on the main roster. He's friends with a For lot sure. of people there. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, no, I know. I'm just yeah. clarifying, but yes, his wife Kevin literally Owens, works Kevin Owens there. being one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Owens, obviously all the, all the video game guys, um, but his wife literally works for AEW. Right. Now, right. now the, there's plenty of uh, relationships that are split up. You have Big Swole over there, Cedric Alexander in WWE, right? You have Charlotte in WWE. You have Andrade over there. So not all couples work together. And, and you know, people who are in marriages and long-term relationships, the Silver King is not, you are. Maybe it wouldn't be great, you know, working and traveling with your wife all, at all times, right? Oh, and, I, I, and just, I, don't think, I don't think they're actually married. I'm looking this up. I don't think oh, they're well. They're married. together. Like they're, they're 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 together heavily yes. together and in a way that it seems like it will lead to marriage, if not. Um, so sorry for putting the cart before the horse there, Britt. Hopefully the ring comes soon. Um, but regardless, so so I just if it's me, if I'm him, and again I'm not, but I look at all those factors. I say there's no harm really in staying with WWE. Like some people say, Correct. oh he'll get ruined. Vince doesn't like small guys. Small guys have been some of the most over people in WWE over the recent years. And yeah, maybe it was thumbing their nose at Vince that it happened with Daniel Bryan. AJ Styles is a small dude. CM Punk isn't that big. I mean, there's plenty of people. Like, uh, Kofi Kingston's very thin despite being taller. Uh, there's plenty of people who have gotten over despite their stature in WWE. I don't think there's a lot of risk for him going to the main roster, even if it doesn't work out. It's not like he's going to be dead and ruined when he does go to AEW, let's say in two years. So I just think it makes all the sense in the world for him to stay. But if he leaves, I don't think anyone could ever blame him. There's every reason in the world for him to go to AEW also. Yeah, I, I look at Kevin Owens and we see someone who we feel like should be a champion, essentially, should get more time, higher profile feuds than he does. But he's also clearly very happy there. The company clearly values him and puts him in high profile situations in and outside of wrestling. He's a company guy. And he's had plenty of titles. Let's not forget. Sure. But I bet he's, he's arguably the most over other than maybe Cena, the most over guy right now. And people love him. And he, he was in the Roman Reigns feud, but he lost a bunch, but he hasn't held a top title in quite a while. Right. But he's clearly in a good place 
professionally. And I could see Adam Cole being a similar situation where maybe he doesn't become WWE champion, but he's everywhere. He's promoted. They value him. You know, that type of situation. I, I could certainly maybe he gets a run once or twice or, or, or something like that. Could you imagine Adam Cole next year as the Money in the Bank winner and like the promos he could cut and yeah. the way he could terrorize, uh, you know, a champion? I mean, it would be absolutely yeah. incredible. We all we always look like, hey, can they be the will Vince put the big belt on them or not? And maybe they won't. But that doesn't mean you're in a bad place professionally. And I think Kevin Owens has been an example of that. And it's something I could see as a future for Adam Cole. Yeah, but we will see. I mean, certainly the fact that the contract, as far as we know, seems to be expiring without a deal signed is worrisome for WWE. It's I don't know what the frequency is of people allowing their contract to expire and then re-signing. I think Cesaro did it recently. I know Drew Gulak did it recently. Um, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in this particular case. It's a huge story on top of CM Punk and seemingly Daniel Bryan as well going to AEW. If they got Adam Cole on top of that, I mean, that roster, it's as good as WWE's roster, if not better. I mean, you can make an argument it's already better once they get they, CM Punk. You know? They really needed to add Rampage, and it's a good thing that that finally launched. It is, yes. And, and in fact, it's a great transition for us to move out of the it NXT is. segment, uh, the NXT TakeOver 36 Ultimate Preview. We will have instant analysis after that show Sunday on this podcast and move over to AEW. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to talk about Rampage from last Friday. The Silver King's briefly going to go over the AAA, Triple Mania 29 match between Kenny Omega and Andrade. And then we're going to get into AEW Dynamite and finish the show. So there's a lot to talk about. We're going to get into it. Straight off the top, Rampage. I didn't think it was that different from Dynamite in terms of presentation. The theme song and ring announcing were huge downgrades comparative to Dynamite. Mark Henry is not strong enough to be on commentary. His interviews that he did during the show were awful. I love Chris Jericho when he's calm on commentary, but his screaming and constant jabbering was grating. The four-man booth should be trimmed to Excalibur and Taz. That's it. You can have a Don Callis. You can have a Jericho as special guests here and there. But what was most notable, just as it is with Dynamite, is the crowd was hot right out of the gate and throughout the entire show, and the crowd made the show feel special. Yep, that, that, that's, that's been the thing with AEW, is that the crowd has made everything feel bigger than it is, even whether it's a match with 2.0 or, or, or some guys that I don't even really know who aren't really important in the company. It all feels important, um, and, and that's why it's so addicting to watch. It, you feel like you want to be a part of it, and, and, it's, and it's AEW, sorry, does a great job of making the fans feel acknowledged, and that's huge. Well, that's the been four the man, that's been the gimmick. Yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and the it, it, it's it, and it's evident in here when you launch a new show like this. The four man booth is an absolute disaster. <laughs> As do we know, it would be. do that again. <laughs> I don't even like really the three man booth on WWE and AEW. Look at what Michael Cole and Pat McAfee have become. They are maybe the best calling team at the moment because there's two of them they they develop a relationship a connection they can bounce things off of each other three gets really difficult because eventually you're just trying to jump in where you can four was absolutely that especially when mark henry and and taz and are, are largely saying the same things in jericho too it, it was a mess i like jericho as a commentator when it was him and tony Schiavone 
at one point during the pandemic, they were two great. Of them, they were they were great. great. Yes. Jericho Jericho works very good in a two man situation when you have the clear face, the clear heel. They play off of each other. But Jericho in a four man thing was an, uh, an absolute mess. You, you, you can't do that. I, obviously, he's not going to be full time on there. No, they are. I think that's the plan. That's the team. Do, I, I thought I thought it was supposed to rotate. I mean, because Jericho is going to be on the show. They say people are going to rotate in and out, but. But that's the booth most shows. It's supposed we'll to be. We'll see. I, I guess we'll see this week because if I just I really hope it's not that same four. I understand you've got guys like Mark Henry. You want to get them in different roles and do stuff, but it it not everybody can do this thing, and it takes away from your product. Uh, commentary has been a pro, has been honestly maybe my biggest complaint with AEW, and it's not because of the quality of people. It's just because it's been too much convoluted. They've they've missed calls. They've talked over each other. They, the, the Malachi Black thing, the debut was very confusing. And Excalibur is great. Taz is great. I love Shivani still. Jim Ross is not what he was, but he still brings something. And like I said, I, I like Jericho. But you can't do everybody. You got to pick, especially for Rampage one hour show, just pick two people. Just right. do Excalibur and Taz. And I think it will really go a long way in terms of the presentation of the product. Because the biggest issue with AW is that it sometimes feels a little messy. Yeah. And adding more people to the booth only exacerbates that. Totally. Nailed it. TNT Championship was on the line. Miro defending against Fuego de Sol. Not only was the title on the line, a AEW contract was on the line for Fuego. He had a tornado DDT to rock Miro before the bell. He had another one after it, but Miro rolled outside. Miro beat the 9.5 count and kicked out at 2.5 after a third tornado DDT. Miro then caught Fuego with a Samoan drop, a thrust kick, and game over for the win. He also ripped up the contract. Sammy Guevara and Tony Khan came out afterwards with Sammy giving him, him being Fuego, a contract to a huge ovation. I loved every second of this. It was a perfect way to book what was essentially a squash match, sandwiched between two big matches on the show, and they got some big pops from the crowd. It was just very smart, very well done. Yeah, and in Miro, do not undersell the, frankly, selling ability he did in that match. It was incredible. Miro is so good at wrestling. I legitimately thought the countout was going to happen. Even though it was like right away early in the match, he, he totally sold the hell out of it. I thought the count, the 10 count was going to happen. I thought the, 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 the DDT pins were going to happen. You got the right result out of it. Um, but man, I just I want to see more Miro on my TV doing wrestling. I know he's been doing the backstage promos or the not even backstage, but the I hate tape promos, promos I really for a while. Do. I don't like he's so talented. He can do so much more. And this was an example. So it's a short little boom. And he like obviously the attention was on Fuego and what happened and everything. But Miro really made this thing. He did. Uh, Darby Allen and Sting watched the show from the rafters, and there was a promo for the next Rampage this upcoming Friday that basically spelled out that CM Punk would debut without saying so specifically. We also had Kenny Omega in consecutive weeks wearing shirts that reference CM Punk uh, in one way or another. So just something to note. We don't need to talk about it. I've uh, got too much to do. Uh, the women's championship was on the line. Britt Baker against Red Velvet. They had Mark Henry conduct an interview that accomplished absolutely nothing ahead of this match. Baker hit a swinging neckbreaker for a near fall. Rebel got tossed from ringside. Uh, she then caught Red Velvet with a curb stomp, but Velvet attempted to put her in a lockjaw. Baker reversed it and Velvet attacked her injured arm. So Baker switched sides and got the lockjaw in with her offhand for the win. Baker hit an extra swinging neckbreaker after the bell and was about to curb stomp uh, Red Velvet into the title. 
when Chris Statlander stopped it. Then Jamie Hayter ran in to stop Statlander and help Baker with a curb stomp as the show ended. So this got about 10 minutes as the main event. The crowd loved it because Britt is a Pittsburgh native. But I got to say, the ending completely fell flat because no one knew who the hell Jamie Hayter was, not only because she's only had a couple appearances in AEW, but because she changed her look on top of that. This is another example, in my opinion, of AEW being super niche in some respects, where it pops the IWC, but not even sometimes its own hardcore fans. The wrestling was pretty decent here, but the post-match angle was weak, and it was obvious that Omega Christian was the main attraction. That opened the show. We'll explain why. Uh, Basically, I'll do it now. I assume that went first to capture the audience who's going to peek into Rampage coming out of Dynamite. I mean, coming out of SmackDown. Uh, So, you know, they finished SmackDown. Oh, this Rampage thing's on. Let me check it out. Wow, there's Christian. Cool match with Omega. That's why I assume that went first. I'll give this three stars, a flat B minus. But the crowd helped the match more than the wrestling did. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the the, the terrible towels, that imagery, like leading into the match, that was really cool. Like they they really leaned into this. It's Obviously, you have to lean into Britt kind of being the face, even though she's you know, this kind of spot that she's in. Mostly, yeah, the end was weird. You can't do a pull-off to reveal thing if if that doesn't work for everybody. Like, the how many people... Nobody in the crowd even really knew who that was. And it it's not the biggest deal in the world, but again, that's an example of a presentation that doesn't quite meet... That, that wasn't executed maybe the way you want to do something like that. Uh, so it was a little messy at the end, but... Britt Baker is great. And again, crowd goes crazy for it. And a hot crowd can make up for a lot of other stuff. And I think this this is an example of it. Now, I saved Kenny Omega against Christian Cage for the Impact Championship last because there's things that happened regarding these guys, um, not just on Rampage, but also on Triple Mania and Dynamite. So we're going to do all of that together. On Rampage, the Impact title was on the line, Omega against Christian. Impact's Brian Hebner was the referee. Jericho made a comment early about his dad, Earl, being a pain in his ass in WWE. I thought that was funny. The crowd was loud and involved the entire match. Omega hit a V-trigger for a near fall, but Christian dodged another, and Omega hit the turnbuckle. Christian came back with a spear for a two-count, but Omega got on top with a snapdragon. Christian's frog splash resulted in a 2.8. Don Callis jumped onto the ring. Omega hit a low blow. The Young Bucks threw a chair in the ring, but Christian countered Omega and hit the kill switch into the chair for the 1-2-3 to win the title. Jurassic Express immediately ran down to celebrate. It's really your choice whether you like or hate this booking. AEW gave away the main event for its upcoming pay-per-view and saw its champion lose by pinfall or submission in a sanctioned match for the first time in two years and three months and barely even said that. Not only that, it was a title match that wasn't for their own promotion's belt in the first match of their debut episode of Rampage. So, you know, those are all things that you can potentially criticize. It was, however, a memorable moment to open the first show, and the crowd loved it. The crowd on its own, in my opinion, elevated a good match to a great match. I'm of a mixed mind about it. There's no question the wrestling was good, as expected. I went 4.25 stars and an A, but there's just no avoiding the fact that AEW preemptively booked a rematch scenario and had Omega lose in a spot where I'm sure Impact wanted the title on Christian and that's why they did it. 
it just seemed weird. Like I almost wish they would have done a two fall match at all out where the first fall is for the impact title and the second fall is for the AEW title or some other way where all of his titles were on the line in a three fall match with Christian where Christian wins one, he wins the impact title, but he doesn't win the other two. I think there's more creative ways they could have done this. It didn't make complete sense for me the way they did it here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the less you think about it, the better it is. I, I think in the end, this really comes down to it was the first match of a brand new show that they want to kick off with a bang and they do a title change and a notable title change. And it you just kind of leave it at that. It, 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 you bring in, you, you talk about the first match being an impact championship. Uh, you talk about this being the main event of All Out. Yeah, then it gets a little weird. I, I I think we all coming into this, I said part of the reason I was curious as the reason they would do this. Well, one, we figure CM Punk and or Daniel Bryan will probably have a match at all out and that will garner the most attention. And so that's why you're doing Omega Christian instead of Omega Hangman Page. And people aren't people were not excited for Christian versus Omega. I I, I mean, really, when they announced it there was this kind of a tepid reaction to it. So part of my thinking was you're going to give him Christian versus Kenny Omega first. It's going to be a great match. And then, so the next time you have it, fans are going to be looking forward to it because AEW does not do 50 rematches like, like WWE does. So it's still Christian versus Omega does not feel uh, overdone. So I think you go into this second matchup now Fans excited because we know Christian can win because we saw it. And it was just a straight up great match. And I think now people are going into this being really excited and not thinking, oh, this doesn't matter because Kenny's going to win. So I think in the end, it, it it was exactly what it needed to be. Not that it's perfect. There's a lot of weird things about it, like you said. But overall, I think this really worked. Okay, so let's move over to Triple A, Triple Mania 29. Now, unfortunately... Chris did not watch this. So I'm going to break this down myself and I'm going to go right into AEW Dynamite after. So this happened over the weekend. Kenny Omega defended his AAA Mega Championship against Andrade El Idolo. So we finally get Kenny Omega and Andrade and it's not on AEW despite both of them <laughs> being signed there. Uh, so it was Andrade who entered last despite Omega being the champion and Ric Flair made a surprise appearance as his second. Omega mocked Flair strut early, then knocked him off the top rope, him being Andrade, and dropped him back first onto the barricade. Andrade threw a beer at Omega, which I think actually, like in reality, angered him because Omega immediately grabbed water to wash his mouth and body. I don't think Omega drinks, and right. I didn't like that Andrade did that, but I also think he may have just been ignorant and not known that. Uh, Andrade executed a great deadlift single leg German suplex for a near fall. Then they each countered a moonsault from the other. Andrade hit one Meteora, then missed another. Omega connected with a V-trigger to the back of his head, but Andrade countered the one-winged angel into a Hurricanrana and then hit a fantastic tornillo outside, followed by a moonsault inside for a near fall. Andrade flipped out of an avalanche snapdragon, but Omega caught him with a regular one. Omega traded a V-trigger for a spinning elbow, then hit a third for a near fall. Omega got two more V-triggers, but Andrade escaped the pinning combination and countered a powerbomb into a tornado DDT following with another DDT for a near fall broken by the ropes. Andrade hit two more Meteoras, but the referee got knocked out. Then Flair steals the belt 
as Omega tried to use it and they traded slaps with Andrade. Then they put Omega and Conan, who was there as Omega second, in dual figure four leg locks until the referee cleared the ring. Omega caught Andrade with the belt shot anyway and hit the one-winged angel for the win. Most expected Omega to drop the title here since he lost the Impact Championship on Rampage. So the finish, the, the booking was a bit surprising, but the schmaz finish here impeded what could have easily been a five-star match if it was able to go longer and have a real finish. But it was still fantastic. I'm going to go with 4.5 stars and an A just because it wasn't long enough and it wasn't deep enough. I asked two weeks ago on this podcast what the difference was between Andrade in WWE and AEW. And as of right now, I maintain that opinion based on his character and booking in AEW, even though I expect him to have a great match with Pac at All Out. But this match in AAA proved that as far as in-ring is concerned, Andrade's back. He's as good as ever. He looked great in this thing. And Chris, if you can go find it, I definitely suggest that you do. Yeah, I need I need to. I definitely need to do that. Hopefully in, that in description of, did it justice, though. Yeah, in terms of the finish and who's winning what, I, I think this is where it gets a little bit weird when your promotions are are open to all kinds of wrestlers and all kinds of titles. Had Kenny not lost the Impact title, maybe he loses a AAA title. It, it, maybe AW doesn't want Kenny to lose two titles in a row. And it gets a little weird where you got a lot of different people doing different things. I like that AEW has this open door, but I think you can it can be a bit too much. And if you're another promotion, you don't want it to change what you want to do. Uh, so, yeah, and Kenny is straight edge. Uh, so that makes sense in terms of reacting yeah. to the beer hit the way he did. But I'll definitely go check out this match. All right. So let's move over to AEW Dynamite. We're going to stay with like the elite overall storyline, and then we'll talk about the rest of the show. Don Callis approached Christian Cage backstage and acted like they hadn't seen each other in 25 years. Christian said he's clearly in Kenny Omega's head, considering he already beat him once. Then he called Callis a carny piece of shit, which was just a great line. Uh, There was a tag team championship match scheduled, the Young Bucks against Jurassic Express. Jungle Boy hit a cool hurricanrana over the ropes to Nick Jackson, and Matt did a diving crossbody to Luchasaurus on the opposite side. Jungle Boy nailed an avalanche brainbuster, and then Jurassic Express combined for an assisted cutter. The Bucks then combined for an indie taker, but Jungle Boy kicked out. Omega hit Marco's stunt with a chair. Christian speared Omega. Jungle Boy hit a brainbuster into the chair, but Nick broke the fall. The challengers then combined for Thoracic Express, but Nick broke the fall. Luchasaurus took out the three guys with a moonsault, and the Bucks combined for a BTE trigger for the win. There were no tags in like the final five minutes of the match. Of course, Rick Knox was the referee. I'm going to keep saying it until AEW changes. It is a legit frustration. Uh, Omega. Yep was wearing a chick magnet shirt, referencing CM Punk. Mm-hmm. He beat down Christian in the ring with Callus getting some shots in. Omega then hit the one-winged angel with Callus counting one, two, three. This was all too much for me personally, if that makes sense. But the match was really fun. There was It was a spot fest, but it was just like chaotic, too much happening. Like There is a level where I want wrestling to be a little bit calmer and so I can focus on the incredible action. This didn't really give it to me, but it did advance everything forward. Yeah. High high spots and big moments are good. You just can't make the whole match out of them. And I think sometimes AW just had a bit too much, but this was was was. just a lot. Yeah. Yeah, But still, it was a lot of fun. Jurassic Express is 
so over, especially singing the the, the music and everything like that. This was a, a good finish. It advanced the story. It was good. Again, good crowd again. Like there are things we can nitpick about certain things, but when the crowd is as into this stuff as the AEW crowd typically is, uh, you can't help but get swept up in it and and kind of be all good with it. Now. The Elite were backstage later celebrating when Tony Schiavone informed them that the Young Bucks would be in a tag team title cage match at All Out against the winner of an Eliminator tournament where it's clear that the Lucha Bros will be the winners. I think this is a really strong match booking. It's probably going to tear the house down. I really did not like their ladder match. People loved it. I think like Meltzer gave it five and a half stars or something ridiculous. I thought it was a ridiculous overindulgent spot fest. My hope is that this match, this cage match, is not that. But if it's not that, it will be incredible. Yes, absolutely. These all these guys involved are are incredible. I imagine they're going to go over the top like they did last time because it's kind of what they do. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but 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 um, but uh, but we'll see. All right, Uh, Chris Jericho fought MJF in the fifth labor of Jericho uh, in the main event of Dynamite. No Judas effect. He couldn't use his finisher. And the, you know, the uh, entrance music of Judas could not be played. Now, Jericho in a promo said he had the momentum and the crowd behind him. The fans serenaded Jericho with Judas as we expected. It took them a second to find their footing, but it was really spectacular once the crowd got going. The one thing I found strange before the match, you can answer Chris and then we'll talk about the match, was MJF. Noted top-tier promo guy. Didn't say a single word the entire show ahead of the match. And AEW frequently does this, where they have a huge main event, but they don't preview it during their show. And I just don't understand why they do that. Yes, I I thought the production around this match was not what it should have been, given this was the fifth labor. Yeah. You kind of expected more of a build to it and even after which which we'll get to um it just ended up feeling a bit like a regular match and not only did did mjf not really talk but you kind of wish he had reacted more to the crowd singing um just kind of like cover his ears get mad to start waving his hands to tell people to stop or something like that because they obviously telegraphed this to announce this last week you know the whole point was to have the crowd end up singing it so i'm surprised he didn't Basically, that he just didn't like sell it more. That he hated it. That, that they that what they were doing. But still, it was really special. And, and like really MJF cool. could have grabbed the mic and like tried to talk over the crowd singing. You know, like there's I so mean, many I, things they could have done. I think you. Le- I mean, I wouldn't grab the mic. I'd let the crowd do what they're doing. But just kind of like waving your hands, like no, anything, like, yelling, yeah. shut up. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of he's kind of stood there because MJF is maybe the best promo guy in wrestling right now and i'm surprised you just kind of don't lean into that a bit more for for a moment like this yeah just the overall like you said the the production and the and the booking the the frame in which this picture existed wasn't what i what it should have been and i thought that was strange Mm -hmm. but we'll talk about the match mjf grabbed the camera like jericho usually does to start the match but he got punched then he stomped on jericho's injured arm they went back and forth there was a lion salt walls of jericho mjf worked on that injured arm with salt of the earth, but Jericho eventually escaped. MJF immediately countered the walls of Jericho. Then he snapped Jericho's arm over the ropes and hit a heat seeker for a near fall. MJF countered a sleeper hold with a low blow that the referee couldn't see and put Jericho into 
the walls, but he reached the ropes. Jericho got his bat and MJF put on the ring. The ring was removed because Aubrey Edwards saw it, but MJF was able to get hit in the gut with a bat by Jericho. Jericho then, with Aubrey still turned, stopped himself from doing the Judas effect, even though he cheated and used the bat, which I thought was weird because he he cheated with the bat, but he didn't cheat with the finisher that was outlawed in the match. Anyway, MJF saw that Jericho fuddled around and stopped with the Judas effect, countered the Judas effect with a Judas effect, then put Jericho in salt of the earth, the submission finisher, and then sunk it in to get the tap out win. This went about as expected. It was a very exciting match. I actually did go four stars and an A minus because the finish was perfect. Um, But I still don't know why this wasn't at all out when it was certainly the caliber of match and storyline to easily be on the pay-per-view. The entire storyline with the five labors felt completely rushed, doing it in so many consecutive weeks with no break, and then not putting the final match on a pay-per-view when you, I have to imagine, would want Jericho and MJF on that show. Obviously, the right person won. I liked the finish with Salt of the Earth selling the arm. I didn't like the Judas effect psychology when, again, the referee was turned around. There's not much else to say. I did think the match was nailed. I did not think the overall picture of it was nailed, as you said. Yeah, and that that came into play at the end. Um, so Judas effect was banned, but it was only banned. It was banned for both of them. Jericho. Is that what we're led to? Only believe? Jericho. Because because MJF also does it when Audrey's not looking. Yeah, no, so that was OK. Yeah, but that was just like he just countered the counter. You know, he just countered the move. I just when it happened, I was like, wait, I was confused because Audrey's not looking. Does that mean he 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 didn't want to cheat to win? But then MJF did cheat to win. It, it felt like that's the story they would have wanted to tell. But that's why maybe I just missed it. I wasn't sure. Um, uh, it, it just, Either way, I don't think it was totally made clear. And it kind of comes into play again at the end where this was a big deal. I loved the labors of Jericho. I was excited for each one. I was excited to see what the next one was. And the crowd was super into this and everything. But then it ends and it's just MJF saying like, I'm great into the camera up on the thing. There was no promo to declare himself this amazing thing. And maybe we'll get that next week. it, It just, that would have been the moment to do it. This is supposed to be, an establishing moment for MJF, you know, to, 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 to beat Jericho, to, to have done this, to have accomplished this. And it just kind of goes off the air. Like it was a regular wrestling match. And that's, again, you know, my biggest, my biggest issue with a AW elevates everything to feel so many smaller things to feel bigger than they are, but they don't quite hit the big moments, whether it's a, whether it's a, a champion, whether it's a surprise reveal they're not quite, there's just something quite often because we're so used to WWE's exceptional production value. And this was an example where it just kind of, they built this up great, but then it kind of just ended and it ended on a dynamite. It didn't end on a pay-per-view, which would have been a good time to do it, like you said. So I come away with this thinking, I enjoyed the hell out of all of this, but I just feel like it could have and should have felt like it meant more at the end. Agreed. Let's move on. Uh, Darby Allen and Sting fought 2.0 in a Texas tornado match. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston came through the crowd to open the show, by the way, with like the Delta variant and all this type of stuff. Maybe they shouldn't be coming through the crowd. Like maybe put, <laughs> keep putting, I'm not saying to stop wrestling. People are vaccinated. They wear masks. All that stuff's really good. But maybe just don't go into the crowd as much. 
both companies, every every brand, every wrestling company. Stay maybe in like the general vicinity of the ring and ringside area. Anyway, uh, they came through the crowd and were opening the show with a promo when 2.0 and Danny Garcia attacked them from behind with a lead pipe and demanded Darby, Allen, and Sting begin their match immediately. Darby blindsided them and they immediately fought into the crowd again and on the concourse. The crowd was particularly hot for Darby doing a big dive off of Rom. 2.0 then suplexed him into an upturned skateboard. Sting totally no-sold a double powerbomb into a table. He then hit a double scorpion death drop, stacked 2.0 and did a double scorpion death lock for a double submission win. It was great to see that Sting could go, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a missed opportunity for Darby to do a double coffin drop and be the one to win the match and get the big moment. The AEW crowd being so hot all the time often hides a lot of strange and even bad booking decisions in AEW, such as a 62-year-old no-selling a double powerbomb through a table. I'm really happy 2.0 got signed. I loved Everrise in WWE. It was one of their dumbest cuts, their pure comedy, pure entertainment. The match was good. The crowd made the match feel better than it was. I really did not like the booking. Uh, this is one where, again, I don't, I don't basically just think much about it. I, I mean, I like the, the promo that 2.0 cut. It was just a way to start the crowd pretty hot. I mean, they're already hot, but you just, you kind of have them come out. You have some fun little stuff. You let Sting do some really fun things and that's it. And that's really all I think it was supposed to be. And for what that was, I think, I think it accomplished what it needed to. Again, yeah, you can not even nitpick, but point out some things that were kind of weird. But I think the larger point of this was just to get the crowd really excited to see something. And and, and that's what they did. Moxley cut a backstage promo at the end of the show. It was tweener style. He talked shit about every main eventer, including faces like Hangman Adam Page, who he said is a silly cowboy dealing with high school drama, and Christian, who he said should have stayed retired. Then he threatened Danny Garcia ahead of their main event match, this upcoming Friday on Rampage. It was a great promo, but the tone of it was surprising. Not bad, just surprising. There's actually somewhat of a dearth of established main event heels right now, other than Omega Mm -hmm. and MJF. Now, I don't think they're going in that direction, but it would be interesting if they did. I thought the promo was fantastic. I just am really not sure what the point of it is. I don't know what's going to happen. I assume he's going to fight someone at All Out, and this is going to be a prelude to that, but I don't know who it's going to be. Well, I was glad we saw him again because I thought it was very strange for them, right. for Moxley and Kingston to get attacked and then just not show up again. I was like, that's very unlike them to just, what, did they get killed? Did they just accept their beating and leave? <laughs> like, I, they better be pretty pissed off. And they largely, or Moxley largely was. So, yeah, it was a little bit weird, but I was frankly glad that it happened. We had uh, Sammy Guevara fight Sean Spears. AEW showed footage of Sammy proposing to his girlfriend, now fiance, congratulations, Sammy, before Dynamite. Spears cut a five-second tape promo insulting them. Uh, They fought before the bell with Tully Blanchard assisting on a spike pile driver. He got ejected after the bell rang when they tried it again. A guardrail was set up between the ring and the fans. Sammy then hit an avalanche cutter, and Spears responded with an avalanche C4. Sammy basically hit a Death Valley driver off the ring apron into that barricade. By the way, this was not a street fight or anything like that. Um, it's just allowed. And then his 630 sent on for the win, I thought, only for Spears to kick out, which was just absurd given this wasn't a hardcore match. It wasn't for a title. 
Sammy came back immediately with three knee strikes and the GTH for the win. This was a really good match. I have no idea why you would end with the GTH and the knee strikes as opposed to a Death Valley driver into a barricade and a 630, which is the way he won that huge um, match at the stadium, stadium stampede with the 630. It was honestly just indulgence for the sake of indulgence. But the match was a glorious spot fest that I'll go, I don't know, 3.75 stars B plus for, given there wasn't an ounce of psychology to be had throughout the entire thing. So it was really good, but also like, on the other hand, I don't get why they booked the finish that way. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah, my first thought was just to let Sean Spears look good because he but why does he need to look the good? time? I just because he loses all the time and just <sighs> kind of a reminder of you know there were a couple spots too, just kind of a reminder that this guy is a really good worker. But first off, two proposals on the same night. In between, or I'm sorry, back to back nights with, with NXT. Oh yeah, and I didn't AEW. even think about that. That's true. <laughs> one, one in kayfabe and one not. Um, two, this was this started off with the third sneak attack in the first 18 minutes of the show. Moxley and Kingston get beat up. Then Darby comes from behind to beat up 2.0. Good point. And then we got the start to this too. And that was just like you gotta like organize these things we like check with each other to see what you're doing because it, it jumped out like we're just everybody sneaking attack and all the all everybody before matches now um but I, I really enjoyed the match it was it was great it was a lot of fun and you know it, it, they they built it up last week couple weeks had a great match out of it and again i think that's all aw is not generally telling these larger stories the way aw does so the way wwe does and this is kind of an example. It's just like it kind of built up, have a great match. And that's kind of all it is. And that's fine. And it, it, it was really good. Now, we got about six things left to talk about. The show is going long. So some of them I'm going to run through. Some of them I'm going to bring you in, Chris, to talk about just for the sake of time. Uh, Dan, Dan Lambert of American Top Team cut another rant promo with Junior Dos Santos and another UFC guy in the ring. He said something about cancel culture and being silenced by AEW. Lance Archer came out only for the men of the year to attack him from behind. They disappeared a few weeks ago out of nowhere. I had been wondering where they were. I liked what they were doing, the men of the year. The crowd didn't react at all to the attack, and the entire segment was much flatter than the first appearance. I didn't like this much at all, and while I think Lambert is talented and they maybe could do something, there's so many other things going on in AEW. This, to me, Chris, just feels super forced. Yeah, I loved Lambert's first promo. I thought it was a couple weeks back. I thought it was really good. This one was just weird. Yeah. He was just screaming the whole time and eventually calling the fans like far left pedophiles, essentially. It got real weird. Super weird. And then yeah. and then the, another sneak attack, you know, kind of at the end of it. The whole thing was just kind of weird. Big Show uh, or Paul White was supposed to make an announcement, I guess he said, but he was all pumped up in the ring. Uh, QT Marshall in the factory interrupted saying, there's a reason White was hired as an announcer, not a wrestler. He then showed x-rays of White's five surgeries in the last 18 months. White said his announcement is that he has a match at All Out with QT Marshall, which went over like a fart in church. AEW does so many things right. The way it lets the wrestlers cut promos, long-term booking. But holy shit, man, they cannot get out of their way sometimes. This is not a match anyone wants to see, let alone to put it on pay-per-view. Please stop Shit like this. Zero point zero. 
Yeah, this is weird. I mean, it, like, it's nice. The crowd was pretty into Paul White, but other than that is whatever. All right, Andrade El Idolo presented a huge packet of papers to pack, uh, saying he needed to agree to all of those terms for them to fight at All Out. It seemed excessive, given there probably won't even be a stipulation to the match, so I don't even know why they did that. Uh, Chavo Guerrero again told the Lucha Bros that Pac is their boss when he's clearly not. So if this goes somewhere, such as them joining Andrade in a stable, I'll be happy to admit that I'm wrong, but this storyline is not working for me, even though this match should bang. Uh, the Ricky Starks and Brian Cage feud continue to be featured without anything really happening. Starks came out to cut a promo after being introduced by Taz. Powerhouse Hobbs had attacked Cage backstage, but he magically came to life the second the camera turned on, took out Hobbs and chased Starks away. They just need to take like a one or two week break from this entire thing. The wheels are spinning and they're not really going anywhere. And then the last match of the show was Thunder Rosa against Penelope Ford. Penelope took a page from Io Shirai's book with the black leather pants. That's the most action I've had all year. They got seven minutes, including a long commercial break, but the wrestling was pretty strong for what we did see. The crowd did not care. Not that AEW has given them any reason to take it seriously. Women's wrestling, that is. Rosa won by countering one submission into another. Chris, those three things, do you have anything to kind of say? Not particularly, but again, when, when an AEW crowd is not reacting to something, that's a real telltale sign that it's not working. And there's really no reason for a Ford-Rosa match. Two talented women who have been featured for them not to react to it, except for the fact that they know outside of Britt Baker, AEW doesn't really seem to care about women's wrestling. Right. Uh, yep. AEW showed highlights and let Dante Martin cut a tape promo after his awesome performance last week. That was a really smart way not to let fans forget how impressive he looked. Britt Baker cut a promo with Jamie Hayter, who redebuted last week. Hayter challenged Red Velvet one-on-one -on -one next week. That should be a good match. Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy did the back-and-forth tape promo thing, setting up a match between them. I still don't like the way they do those. Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling did a tape promo about facing Kara Hogan on Friday. There was really nothing to that. Arn Anderson informed us that his son has a match with Malachi Black next week and tried to convince him not to do it. That should be nothing more than a 10-second squash when it happens. And lastly, Miro said Fuego Disol didn't deserve his contract last week, and he challenged Eddie Kingston out of nowhere with no storyline reason, presumably for a TNT title match in the coming weeks or so. So, Chris, um, I gave you my take on all those. They, they do so many of these little segments. I just wish they'd not do five little segments and instead give us two a little bit longer ones. They just try to force too much into every episode. For me, it's yeah, a little bit too I mean, chaotic. They they really try to set up like the entire next week. So like it, it's not like, you know, WWE, we often go into only knowing two or three matches are happening on a three hour show. And you, you kind of got to watch and figure out what happens. AW does the opposite where it's. But like, I, I, you can tell me, Jade, you can tell me Jade Cargill is fighting Kiara Hogan without getting a uh, one sure. minute promo about it. You know? But it's just it's, it's honestly now with Rampage, I start to lose track of what what's happening when that it almost doesn't matter that they're telling me that just. Tell me that people are feuding and then we have a match. It's a bit chaotic, as you said, but, you know, they got a lot of people. They want to fit everybody on the show and they got to basically tell you where to watch it now. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest problems we talk about with WWE is the same talent being on TV all the time. AEW does a good job of having a more diverse group of people on week to week. But what they do is they try to still fit certain people on to every episode. I think the happy medium is actually somewhere in between. It's having a constant rotation of people that you see on TV, 
but not forcing people on the show every week for no reason. There was no reason for Miro to cut that promo. There just wasn't. Right. You can easily do that next week and set up a match with Kingston the following week or something like that. So that's the one criticism I really do have for AEW. Stop trying to force everything into every dynamite. Allow there to be a week we don't see Andrade, a week we don't see Malachi Black. And then the ne- and then because of that, then you're going to see Miro one week. You're going to see Andrade the next week. You're going to see Black the week after that. Sometimes you'll see both of them. It's just, it's too many people. And now, you know, potentially CM Punk, potentially Daniel Bryan, potentially Adam Cole, potentially, you know, as well, if he ends up going there. So it's only going to get larger, this roster, and you're not going to be able to shove everything into all of these shows. You're just going to have to figure out a way to space it out a little bit better. That's my final takeaway on that. So look, Chris, this was quite a show. I mean, I don't think we've ever done a show where we've done an ultimate preview, talked about matches from three different promotions and done an interview. And you know what? It's appropriate considering it's the 200th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And I appreciate all of you guys spending this time with us, not just for this show, but as you do two, three, four, sometimes even five times in a given week. Speaking of that, here is the schedule for the rest of the week. On Friday, after SmackDown and Rampage go off the air, we will have a very special go-home show, potentially also an instant reaction to CM Punk debuting in AEW. If that does come to fruition, that's going to be Friday night. On Saturday at 6.30 p.m., we will have a live SummerSlam final preview on Twitter Spaces. You can join that by following us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And then as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast from that pay-per-view ready for your ear holes. On Sunday, we're going to do the exact same thing with NXT TakeOver 36, live pre-show, 6.30 p.m. on Twitter Spaces. Again, follow us at Getting Overcast and instant analysis as soon as NXT TakeOver 36 goes off the air in the normal podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe to the Getting Over podcast wherever you listen to fine professional wrestling audio. We are there, Spotify, Google, Apple, anywhere you listen, we are there. And lastly, two more things before we get out of here. Please do not forget what Getting Over is all about. It's all Celebrate our 200th episode with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please leave a review as well. Let people know how much you love the show and why they should listen. And lastly, as I said in the opening of this episode, we are taking contributions. You know, hopefully it'll only be for like a day or so, but if you want to contribute to the show, help us pay our bills. Uh, Basically just the server for keeping the podcast up and running for you every single month. You can contribute at Adam. Dash Silverstein, S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N on Venmo. And if you don't want to remember that, you can just go to my personal Twitter profile at Silverstein Adam on Twitter. There's a tip jar there. You can click the link. I believe you can go PayPal or Venmo and you can contribute. Any amount is helpful. And as soon as we reach our total, I will tweet that we have, that I appreciate the contributions and I'll cut it off and ask for no more. So I appreciate anyone who is willing to do that. And even if you're not, that's totally cool. I'm just glad you are a getting overhead and part of this show and part of this series. Thank you all for listening. We will see you again on Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday, and of course, Tuesday next week. Plenty of professional wrestling audio to come for Vintage Chris Manini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.